0: Hello and welcome. I'm Grace Kelly-Miller and you're listening to No Small Recaps. The recap show for no small roles. Myself and the wonderful Ben Galpin are going to sum up the adventure so far, just for you, episode by episode. So get comfy and get caught up. Ben, over to you.
1: Episode 1. The Con Artist's Cave. Our adventure begins deep in the treacherous Lockhold Woods in the region of El Timpyr. Juna Septhorn, a three-foot-tall gnome lady, wakes from unconsciousness to find herself in a dark cave. Spritely and stout, she's at least a hundred years old with a glint in her eye and a wry smile. As she reaches in the dark, her fingers find her familiar quarterstaff with its large purple amethyst. She had fallen for a trap, laid by a copper-haired woman, telling a tall tale of her wife and puppy venturing into a cave, and not returning. As Juna entered the cave to help, she was magically knocked unconscious. As Juna looks around the cavern, she sees two more bodies lying on the ground. First waking Enkidu Kai, a 5 foot 10 human with dark skin, lean build and short grey hair. Dressed in a military style, long black coat with fur hood, black boots and fingerless gloves. And finally rousing Orin Quill, a young looking human, about 5 foot tall, with a slight build, Light's faintly tanned skin with dirty blonde, messy hair. His leather waistcoat pockets are bursting with tools. On his left leg is an industrial-looking brace, and unusual orange marking snake up his right arm. They realise they have all fallen for the same ruse, and looking around for their possessions find that although their food, water skins, healers and herbalism kits have all been stolen, no gold or anything of value seems to have been taken. Hearing an odd strangled chicken noise echoing down the cavern, the group decides to investigate on their way to find an exit. As they quietly move through the caves, they uncover a chamber with several statue like figures. Sat in a nest of rocks is a shriveled creature, with a body similar to a chicken and lizard like wings, its eyes darting about the cave as it makes a vile squawking noise. Juno attempts to communicate with the creature. <laughs> However, it is lost in translation, and the cockatrice attacks. Juno uses her sorcerer skills to protectively look after the party, before Enkidu reveals his warlock abilities, unleashing a pale green shock of eldritch energy towards the beast, while Orin flails around with his little smithing hammer. Unfortunately, the beast appears to have a bite worse than its squawk, and it attempts to turn the party to stone. Juno resists the attack. But as the cockatrice sinks its beak into Enkidu's calf, he feels his legs starting to turn to rock. As Orin blasts his welding torch, a product of his artificer's tinkering, Juna shouts the beast's true form, COCKATRICE, and radiant energy spirals along its body, destroying it. Seeing Juna's injuries, Orin reaches into a canister and pulls out some tiny mechanical bees, who leap into action, quickly stitching close her wounds. While Enkidu manages to push the petrification back, with his force of will. Looking around the chamber, the party discover three cockatrice eggs. Henkido and Juna destroy a pair of them, but leave one for Orin to study later. The statues appear to be similarly lost travellers, who have been transformed into cockatrice lunch. As the trio heads down a passageway filled with mushrooms, they spot footprints leading to a large patch of the fungus. As Juna prods the mushrooms with her staff, she uncovers a body with a satchel containing a sealed letter addressed to Dr. Ardison Hograt of Tillersham. I hope this letter finds you well, though I fear its contents may not lighten your heart. I regret to inform you of the death of your brother, Kiris, as a result of injuries after falling from his horse. A service will be held for him this coming shroud, should you wish to attend. I know you are not on the best of terms, but you will always be welcome. I hope you can join us. Yours, Merida. As Juna studies the body to try and tell how long it has lain there, Orin suddenly cries out in pain as tendrils emerge from the violet fungus latching onto his foot. The group beat a hasty retreat from the chamber, Orin clearing the path with his welding torch. Eventually, the group find a passageway with fresher air, and as they reach the entrance to the cave, they find the copper-haired woman attempting the same con on a half-orc paladin. When Juna catapults a rock at the woman, the paladin attempts to defend her honour, and as Enkidu fires a warning eldritch blast at the half-orc, a fight breaks out. However, the paladin's appetite for a brawl quickly disappears when he knocks the tiny figure of Juna out cold on the floor, and, apologising, he disappears into the woods to see if the copper-haired lady is in need of further assistance. Reaching for his mechanical bees once again, Orin revives Juna, and our three companions discover they are all heading in the same direction. As evening falls, they find their way to the town of Tillisham, and to the inviting glow of the Knocking Point Tavern.
0: Episode 2, The Bard and the Bride On the outskirts of a quiet town called Dentshire, you will find a pleasant and comfortable inn, The Rambler's Rest. However, when our story begins here, the atmosphere is far from restful. A dirty and travel-weary half-elf with dark, grimy hair tied up in a ponytail approaches the inn hoping to trade a few songs for a hot meal. His lute has seen better days and is strapped to his back alongside a beautifully ornate broadsword. And though the sword certainly seems at odds with his tatty exterior, it is not the most striking thing about him. The top half of his face is covered with a mask, his eyes one blue, one violet peering through and the mask itself silver and white rather nice from a distance but cheaper looking the closer you get. As he enters he is confronted with a raging argument between the innkeeper Tabitha and a young half-orc lady called Gwendolyn who is being thrown out for not paying for her room. Gwendolyn doesn't look like she has money troubles She stands with an air of nobility, finely attired in elegant travelling clothes, which beautifully complement her grey skin and green eyes. A charming bonnet frames her lush green hair and pointed ears. Two fangs on her lower jaw are visible when she smiles, but in this moment, she is not smiling. She's quite clearly distraught as Tabitha tells her...
1: He's not coming back. So that's, that's something you've got to deal with.
0: Our bard steps in to introduce himself as...
1: Gaius, and I am a bard of exceptional talent.
0: Unfortunately for him, the man Gwendolyn is waiting for is also a bard. And this has put Tabitha right off performers. She's done with the drama, and so she chases the pair out of the inn with a broom. Gaius is sympathetic to this damsel in distress who is clearly having a rough time. She explains that her husband, Dwayne Fabulosa, a handsome elf with glittering blue hair, a musician of quite some reputation, had been staying at the inn with her. A week ago, he left to retrieve a family heirloom, his grandmother's tiara, so that they could complete their extended marriage celebrations. Unfortunately, he'd had to leave the tiara in a pawn shop, and so Gwendolyn, of course, gave him all her money to allow him to go and buy it back. He promised to return to her within two days, however with no sign of him, she's worried something terrible must have happened. With adventure, a good story and a possible meal ticket on the table, Gaius agrees to join Gwen on her quest to find her beloved Duane. The town of Tillisham is their destination. The pair decide to steal the horse of a kindly local drunk named Alfred, justifying to themselves that Dwayne's life may be in danger. A less convinced Bessie bolts into the Lockholt wood with the duo clinging to her in a less than graceful fashion. Gaius soothes her with his song and a useful sign tells them that Tillisham is five days away. By the fourth day, the pair are warming to each other and Gwen reveals that she's actually only known her husband, Dwayne, for about four weeks. Whilst Gaius digests this information, he is suddenly knocked off Bessie as a panther attacks him. Gwen acts with monk-like skills and deftly throwing her somewhat ornamental-looking spear at the big cat, they are able to kill it with no harm to themselves. However, being strangers to bloodshed, they are shaken up by this encounter. That night, Gaius spots someone watching them in the darkness. A hunched figure approaches the pair, grey skin sagging, knuckles dragging on the ground, talking in a confused manner, as though knowing what may come in the future, looking for a witch, and then he remembers his name is Kral. He tells them...
1: I fixed the panther for you.
0: They are then confronted with the panther they killed earlier, bloody, mangled and alive.
1: Let us fix it.
0: As they battle the undead beast, they realise it has a knack for coming back to life. This time, Gwendolyn takes a slash to the stomach and falls unconscious. Guy revives his new friend with his healing music and then repeatedly stabs the zombie panther till it stops moving. In the commotion, an injured Bessie makes a break for it. Not wanting to stay in the woods a moment longer, the two continue on foot. And as the sun rises they see the bloody results from the night before upon their clothing. Cleaning up as best they can, the exhausted pair press on to Tillisham, and as they arrive, they decide to enter a cosy-looking tavern called the Knocking Point.
1: Episode 3 – The Knocking Point Robbery Having made their way to the Knocking Point, the tired and thirsty Enkidu, Juna and Orin meet the beer-bellied half-orc tavern owner Iris Truvec but are disappointed to find the taps are dry, as Iris' entire brewery was stolen a few days ago. Suddenly, the door bursts open to reveal Gwen and Gaius, both looking a little bedraggled from their nights on the road. Gwen is reunited with Juna, who works in her family home. While Juna has been chasing after Gwen, Gwen has been running after Dwayne, who has disappeared, taking Gwen's money to collect his grandmother's tiara from a pawn shop, to make their so-called marriage official. Iris spotted a half-elf matching Dwayne's description in Tillisham a few days before, although he appeared to be holding hands and sharing a room with another half-elf chap. Our five acquaintances head across Servelt Square to the packed and sticky-floored Woodman and Wolf, which has the last kegs of ale available in town. While ordering beers with added strawberries for Gwen, Juna presses landlord Welton Grimble to see what he knows of the Knocking Point robbery. Welton has no idea of the cause and appears insulted at any suggestion he could be involved. Gwen and Juna approach two off-duty guards, Izell and Sully. However, the watch don't seem to have uncovered any suspects in the robbery. Before leaving them, Gwen politely but forcibly invites herself over to the guardhouse for a cup of tea the following day. Meanwhile, Anki,du Gaius, and Orin are deep in conversation with a tearful Atrella and her wannabe highborn friends. Atrella, the daughter of the captain of the guard, is devastated by the insults to her handwriting by ex-boyfriend Trimpt. The son of Lady Vondel, Trimpt seems to be the desired catch of Atrella and for some of her friends, too, with his strawberry blonde curls and white stallion Thaddeus. When Gwen returns to report her conversation, and Kiju's description of Gwen as not completely useless leads to her returning solo to the knocking point, where a pre-bed chat with Iris reveals the Plenty Store as a possible location for Dwayne's family tiara. The other four remain for a few more drinks before returning to the knocking point for a drunken investigation of the barn where the brewery equipment was named. With Orin's discovery of droplets of arcane oil on the floor and three pairs of muddy footprints which lead into the barn before vanishing, it appears magic was involved in the crime. Iris reveals there are only two known magic users in the area. The terrifying sounding witch of the Lockhold Wood, Ruana Witten. Stories go, though, that she sort of looks like she's made of the trees and the and moss and she like wears mud all over her head. I'm pretty sure she's real. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. And Lady Vondell, mother to Trimpton Oscon and a well-liked benevolent figure in the town. While Enkidu, Gaius and Juna make their way upstairs for a sozzled sleep, Oren stays in the barn pulling on his goggles of magical detection and finding the inside of the barn doorway glowing with the remnants of conjuration magic. In the morning, after tea and breakfast, the group split up, with Juna, Enkidu and Oren making their way across Servelt Square to Dr. Hograd's surgery. Finding the building abandoned, they let themselves into the back door to discover that the doctor's alchemical equipment and shells of medicines have all been cleared out. Spotting Dr. Hograd's diary, Orin and Enkidu uncover writings on an odd illness called Gallows' Cough, and also her thoughts on the building of a new, ruined tower at the Vondel Manor. Meanwhile, Gwen and Gaius have made their way into Drania Pine's ramshackle plenty store. Despite Gaius' attempts to assist by playing good guard, bad guard, Gwen finds no evidence of Duane visiting the shop, nor of his family tiara. As they step back into the street, Gwen bumps into the infamous Trimpt Vondel. Introducing herself as Gwendolyn Fabulosa, Trimpt asks if she's related to Dwayne, who the Vondels auditioned to be their family bard. Trimpt appears very taken with Gwen, and invites her to luncheon tomorrow, as well as offering Gaius an opportunity to audition for resident bard, before trotting away on his stallion Thaddeus. Making her way back across Servelt Square, Juna meets town cobbler Jenny, who appears to also have a thriving career as town gossip. Asking after Dr Hograd, Jenny gives Juna a potential lead in regular visitor Mir, a guard whose mum is ill with gallows cough. Mir's mum's a bit ill. Right, now she's got that gallows cough, doesn't she? As well as blabbing that the Woodman and Wolf spear supplies have been stolen during the night. Julia you know last night as well? Happened the same, didn't it? What happened? Where did it happen? Woodman and Wolf. All their stuff's disappeared too. At the guardhouse, the less-than-famous five meet Mir Nellis standing watch at the door. Mir seems surprised that others have discovered the doctor is missing. To avoid panic, the guard have been keeping her disappearance hush-hush. Without Dr. Hograd's regular supply of medicine to keep the gallows' cough at bay, Mir is very worried for their mum's health, and suggesting the witch in the woods might be able to brew the medicine, offers 20 gold pieces per bottle if they return. With all the leads pointing that way, the Intrepid Quintet set off into the woods.
0: Episode 4, Into the Woods our group of acquaintances venture into the Loch Holt Woods in search of the fabled witch Rowana Witten. They soon realize, however, that none of them know where they're going. Using her gnomish talents, Juna is able to communicate with a helpful sparrow and it agrees to guide them best it can. Following the small bird, the party travel for several hours. Along the way, Juna keenly quizzes Orin on his tools and inventions. Gaius and Gwendolyn share a feeling of safety now that they're part of a more sizable group, and En-Kee- Enkidu finds a quiet moment to secretly consult the voices in his head. Unsure if this mission is important in the grand scheme of things, he is bolstered by the words, Keep going, brother. As our gang starts to get peckish, Juna spots some pear trees. Gwendolyn cheerfully volunteers to climb a tree and pick some for everyone, only to be upstaged by Enkidu's mage hand as he decides to swipe the fruit she reaches for, much to his own amusement. On nearly losing her balance, Gwendolyn is able to right herself with some impressive acrobatic skills. From her vantage point in the tree, Gwendolyn spies some deer eating in a nearby clearing. Realising that a meteor meal is on offer, Enkidu and Oren swiftly fire their bows, taking down the nearest. But it doesn't stay down. A zombie deer fight ensues. Juna projects a gnarled, necrotic hand that just misses, whilst Orin manages to singe one with his firebolt-blasting blowtorch. Luckily, the deer don't get off to a good start either and only just get a nibble of Juna. Gwendolyn dispatches her first deer with a finely made dart straight to the eye. Spurred on by this, she tries out a fancy face-kicking flip, which misses and leaves her tangled up in a fallen tree. Enkidu sends a deer to the ground with Hexblade's curse, but is shaken when the beast rises to his feet once again. Watching from the sidelines, a nervous Gaius inspires and heals with his music. These loose-jawed deer corpses are no match for magic hammers, quarter-staff spears, eldritch blast punches and shimitars Juno skillfully squishes the head of one deer and Gwen totals three kills, though undermines herself somewhat when a failed cartwheel leaves her face down in the mud. Inspired by Gwen, Gaius runs into the fray, daggers flying and finishes off the final foe. Muddy, bloody and shaking, the party take in the scene before them, drawing the conclusion that Kral, who Gwen and Gaius had previously encountered in the woods, is likely to be behind these fixed deer. The deer had been grazing on a large owl bear, and to prevent this creature from also getting fixed, Enkidu gets to work taking it apart, Gaius watching queasily. Juna privately tells Gwen, Kasula would have been really proud of you today, Gwen. I hope you know that. These words stir Gwen and prompt her to retrieve and clean her fine dart. Meanwhile, Orin uses his goggles to confirm the use of necromantic magic. With their sparrow guide gone, Juna suggests that they head in the direction they were going in, and as they stop for some water along the way, Orin spots a half-elf gentleman, worryingly with a dead deer over his shoulder. However, Guys confirms that the man isn't Kral, and the Party feeling a bit lost, agree it would be good to ask for directions. The half elf is startled by the appearance of these strangers in the woods. Juna gives her best lovely old lady impression, and he cautiously introduces himself as Matrim Brug, gamekeeper of the Vondel estate. Juna tells him that they need help finding a witch.
1: If you're in need of a witch, then uh, I can't breathe really trust in you,
0: unfortunately. Juna assures him that their intentions are pure, that they're looking for a cure for gallows cough, revealing that Dr. Hograd is missing. When Gwendolyn adds that they suspect that the witch may have been involved in the brewery robbery as there were signs of magic at the scene, Junin notices him jump on this explanation a little too keenly and suspects that the gamekeeper may know more about the robbery than he is letting on. He informs them that the witch is a two-day journey from where they are. Feeling woefully underprepared, they decide to follow him back to Tillersham with the plan to return to the woods when they have a plan. As they make their journey back, Guy is able to sell him a sonnet for his wife Dahlia and Orin sneaks a look at Matrim with his goggles of magical detection, noticing something with transmutation magic. Once in town, Matrim bids them farewell and as they watch him leave, Juna reveals her suspicions of him knowing about the robbery. They discover they all have a knack for being stealthy and follow him through the town. Arriving at the Vondella estate, they are greeted with the sight of an impressive manor house, beautiful walled grounds, and the strange ruined tower they had heard about. Episode 5, Grounds for Stealth. As the sun begins to set, our party takes in the view of the Vondel estate. Suspicious of potential shady goings-on and wanting to be prepared for their luncheon the next day, they decide to case the joint. Scouting around the ten-foot-high walls, they pass an impressive front gate complete with family coat of arms, before finding a secluded vine-covered part of the wall and clambering over unnoticed. As Enkidu and Gaius take the lead, Gwen suggests using sticks for camouflage, Despite Enkidu's protest that keeping low to the ground will be enough, she arranges several twigs in her hair and moves with surprising stealth. so weird that my stealth rolls are so good right now. It's weird. It's like I've got camo one or something. <laughs> <laughs> as the sky darkens, Juno, Orin and Enkidu move in for a closer look at the manor. They spot a woman in a first floor window silhouetted with blue magical light refracting around her as she appears to cast an arcane ritual. Making their way to the hunter's lodge, Orin stops to collect his own stealth sticks and loses track of the party. As he rubs some phosphorus on the twigs inventing the glow stick, Enkidu Gwendolyn's mage hand gets him back on track. As Guy and Gwendolyn peer into the gamekeeper's cottage, Guy spots Matrim and his wife Dahlia emptying a bag onto the table. However, Gwen very nearly gives them away when reaching for another camo stick, which snaps off a branch with considerable noise. Realising he may not be seeing the full picture, Guy messages Oren who looks through the window with his goggles of magical detection, spotting bottles containing the same transmutation oil found in Iris's barn and also the healer's kit stolen from him in the cave. As Matrim and Dahlia move towards the door, the party dive for cover, but no one comes out. Instead, Oren sees the doorway glow with the exact same conjuration magic detected at the scene of the Knocking Point robbery. Entering the cottage, Juna finds and recovers her stolen water skin before finding a weathered book written in Elvish hidden under the bed. Although Gwen can read Elvish, she is not very magically gifted and can't tell much more than it is about bringing things back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Enkidu calls on the voices in his head for aid and this time just hears... Why
1: do not you gonna fuck yourself, eh?
0: As Orin tunes his quill of Comprehend Languages to Elvish, he confirms that the book is packed with necromantic rituals, one page covering Raising the Dead while others show how to preserve organs or extend life and on the back of the page, the author's name, Kralovin Sevelt. Gwen concludes that he could be the same Kral they met in the woods, while Juna reminds them of Sevelt Square. Before moving on, Orin adds a knowing message to the couple, writing naughty in the book. Juna goes to return the tome to its hiding place, however decides to hide it in her robes instead, only for it to fall to the ground as she reappears. They progress on to the perfectly ruined tower, An impressive sight even at night, with a skillfully aged dragon statue at its center and impeccable piles of rubble scattered artistically about. Gwendolyn discovers a stone near the base of the tower with a carving of a rose, which matches the very pendant worn around her neck. Excitedly pushing the stone, it pops out ready to be turned like a key, and turning it reveals a secret stone staircase right beneath the feet of Orin and Gaius. Warning others to be cautious, she runs down the stairs with delight and Orin, feeling like stealth is out of the window, illuminates a nearby rock to help his struggling vision. At the bottom of the staircase stands an iron door with
1: The word is the key
0: carved into it. Enkidu suggests Gwen say the word key in Elvish. She complies for once. Unfortunately, instead of opening the door, this activates the guarding stone dragon, which drops to the ground and catches all but Juno with its flames. While Guy sings himself better and Orin's mechanical bees soothing Kidu's wounds, from the top of the stairs, Juno shouts, Whatever you just did! don't do it again. Gwen reveals this security system is the work of her father, most likely assisted by her sister, and that such expensive protection must guard something of great importance. As she muses the answer to the riddle could be nearly any word, Juna suggests trying to acquire the password on their visit tomorrow. Hearing noises from within the door, the group quickly retreat upstairs. As Gwen closes the secret entrance, Orin trips and his glowing rock is trapped within, as they appear peer at the entrance from their hiding places, they are surprised to see no one leave. Following alongside the manor, Juna suddenly spots a familiar figure drawing curtains, the copper-haired woman from the cave. Seeing red, or copper, she exclaims that she ought to give her a good tongue-licking. Or does she mean tongue-lashing? However, remembering that they haven't rested or eaten for quite some time, the party decides a confrontation can wait until the following day. And so the famished five press on. Well, nearly. Juna, spotting the servant's entrance, tries her luck with a peek in the kitchen window. Just as an elderly half-orc looks out, Juna ducks, but not quick enough.
1: Goodness me, what a lot has been happening in Tillisham. I think it's time for a calming cup of tea, or if your local brewery hasn't been magically stolen, perhaps a beer, with added strawberries, of course. Thank you for listening to our first No Small Recaps. We love hearing from you on social media. We're at No Small Rolls on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find us on Facebook by searching No Small Rolls. Rolls is spelt R-O-L-L-S. As in the popular British caramel-filled chocolate, Rollos, but where the second O is replaced with an L. All clear? Well, now you're all caught up, you should be ready to dive into episode six, as we find out how Juna is gonna get out of this scrape. Anon for now.